1: what's going on you guys welcome back to the neighborhood podcast One of the hosts of the podcast my name is kyle dabro
0: what's going on everybody kevin valentin here other half of the podcast kyle i'm back man
1: yes sir we're back in action it's been a couple days i haven't recorded i think in almost a week at this point so but bro i gotta ask you uh, fourth of july has come and gone I gotta ask how, how was uh your fourth of july weekend my guy
0: it was good man got to hang out with my godson i got to meet him because you know he was a covid baby so you know how all of that went but just getting to hang out with my cousins seeing family members i haven't seen in about 12 15 years uh, just getting out of florida and just relaxing up north um, my cousin's boyfriend their family has a pretty big house outside of Allentown. So it was kind of like outside away from the hood that I was used to, but like in like a lot of land and property and stuff like that. So it was like, it was really cool to just sit outside in the patio and just chill, relax with everybody, enjoy the nice weather. It wasn't hot like it is here. So it was a good mental reset. Definitely very much needed.
1: That was great, bro. I'm glad you had a good time. So I know you were looking forward to it uh, before uh, you left, uh, on Thursday last week, right? Thursday afternoon, yeah. So, bro, it was a much needed break. So, trust me, hey, hey bro, every couple of months, it's always good to get away for a couple of days just to kind of reset, recharge the batteries, bro. I I was looking forward to doing that this week, but uh things have shifted. So, we'll kind of see how it goes. So, we were kind of planning on uh only doing like one episode this week because I was supposed to fly out Thursday, but that will no longer be the case. So we could potentially be back on Thursday night recording. So that'll be that'll be fun. But, you know, overall I mean, Fourth of July was good over here, you know. Got to just kick it over uh at, the, at my parents' house all day, ate like a champ. So I got to yes, I got to salute my pops for, for kicking ass with the barbecue all day. So everybody was uh eating good on Fourth of July. So we also did like this uh we did kind of like this egg toss thing just like as like a little like family competition thing bro it was your boy's nice
0: what's my an company? egg toss
1: so basically what you do is you know it's it's two teams of two people and you toss the oh egg back and, and you forth, catch
0: it back and forth oh and okay. you
1: catch it and whichever one breaks first they lose and then the other team wins bro my dad and i got really good at it where bro we were tossing that thing like 25 yards back and forth to each other it, it, it's all in the cradle. I mean, you literally you got to cradle that thing as you know the eggs flying to you. But um, your boy's low key nice at it, bro. Not gonna lie.
0: Did Alex break it?
1: Oh yeah. I remember one time we were just kind of goofing off or whatever. My dad and I were doing the same thing. We were, we were chucking the egg back and forth like twenty yards to each other, and then my brother comes in out of nowhere and just like literally like just swats it out of the air. The the funny part is is that the egg broke like as soon as he, as soon as he smacked it, and like I think like most of the egg yolk landed on his like head. It was just funny Ugh. at that point. I could never. But, but he he got a good SWAT though. It was like freaking like Joel Embiid or Giannis freaking like give me that. No so, shot. But bro, it was, it, it was fun. So I think next year, uh, we'll switch it up a little bit. We'll do. We, we, we may do the egg toss thing, but we might do, like, like Cornhole or something like that, just to switch things up. Cornhole's fun. I love doing that. But, um... What? <laughs>
0: what? A cornhole didn't exist until I moved down here, so it's it's not exactly a game that I'm used to, and nor am I good at it. So it's kind of just, like,
1: it's good, if like, it's there, I'll
0: toss the bag, but I'm not going to, like, play.
1: It, it's good, like, I'm not going to do it, like, every weekend or anything like that, but it's, like, if you do it, like, you know... Like once or twice like throughout the summer well it's it's fun it's it's just good to kind of like pass the time, and then you know you really kind of get into a good game it gets a little bit competitive and I always like that so it it gets yeah, competitive it, it, juices flowing bro sometimes
0: it does there's this game that my uh my girl's family plays during a tailgate it's called washers I don't know if you've ever heard of it, oh, so they take like these uh these actual like washers that you put over like a like a big nut like a lug nut and you have to like throw them into a metal can and that can is in a box like glued to a box Mm -hmm. if the washer is within uh kind of like a washer size of the box you get one point if you land it in the box you get three points if you get it in the can five points okay and every point cancels out so it's like if you get one in the can, one in the box, and one outside. And the other team gets that same thing. Then all those points cancel out, and everybody ends up with zero. And it's mm-hmm. first to 21. But since they're metal fucking washers, and if you play on concrete, and that bounces, bro, it's like it rips skin clean off because it's metal.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Bro, and <laughs> it,
0: it. there was a couple times we did it at a tailgate of the, uh, the Eagles-Dolphins game, I think two years ago. Dude, and your instinct is to, is to stop it with your foot or, like, pick your leg up to try to, like, bro, I lost hair. My little brother lost hair. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure my girl's dad, like, cut his leg up. Like, bro, it's, it's nuts. So we play on grass now. <laughs> or bring get a towel.
1: To, I got to try that, bro. That'd be fun.
0: Dude, it's dumb, dumb, dumb fun. Because everybody has, like, a different technique to throwing it. Like, underhand. Some people flip it. Some people actually try to toss it sidearm to get a spin. It's crazy. It's mad fun that I, is I, fun
1: i mean i remember back in the day when we we used to uh like go camping or stuff like that bro sometimes we used to have this horseshoe set and bro we just tossed the horseshoes back and forth but bro like played I'm horseshoe not, before I, I, i'm not gonna lie like but when you toss that horseshoe right and it just freaking just slides down uh the metal pole and you just land that that hoe bro it's
0: yeah, I think I think I've done horseshoe maybe like two three times. And I don't know. I don't remember how the point system works, but yeah, no, it was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I mean to me, like basically, you know, if if you, I think the way that we played it was, you know, obviously if you, if you get it like around the pole, that that's a point. You no, know, and then, you know, pretty much if nobody gets it, then you basically just kind of assume like, all right, well, who's the closest? Like with all the horseshoes that are laying around the pole, it's kind of how we did like each round and and then we and then we'd switch sides and then you know it'd be it'd be pretty fun. I've played horseshoes in, like probably like 10 or 15 whenever yeah, I get the same. chance. It, whenever I get the chance, bro, it'd be fun. So it would be So, No, for it, sure. It, it's just like a fun activity like especially like if, if family's around cuz then everybody's always kind of like, you know, into it. Everybody can always play, so it, it's fun. So, those would be a couple couple different things that we might do for fourth oh. of july next year so and
0: can jam, can jim i was
1: gonna i was gonna bring that up too can jam is fun but your boy sucks at throwing frisbees i just suck what yeah not my strong bro
0: sport. it's like it's like 10 feet from you it's not even you don't even have to throw yeah. it far you can't it, throw it straight it,
1: it, it, i i think the way that i flick my wrist i think i curve my wrist whenever i flick it that's my problem
0: so so turn at a 25-degree angle, and if you flick it, it'll curve into it.
1: <laughs> right. Bro, sometimes, like, you know, like, when you go golfing and you kind of have to play the slice? <laughs> sometimes, like, that's kind of how I'll do it with a frisbee. But I'll do the same thing with golf, too. Like, if I know I'm going to slice it or I'm going to hook it, I'll just play the hook or the slice. <laughs> I'll just yeah, got to prep I, for it, you know? The key is actually trying to hit the ball straight or throw the frisbee straight. Something that I apparently don't know how to do that well.
0: I'm not a professional Frisbee player, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I always do it straight. But the best part is with jam. that's why you have a partner to hit the Frisbee into a particular section. So it's got to just be within the vicinity.
1: Hey, if I, hey, if I get carried, bro, I'll take it. Fine by me. We'll be but, fine. Exactly. Like, if anything, we just, you know, practice makes perfect. But, you know, you got to start from somewhere. Facts. But bro, we we got some topics to dive into. I mean, granted, we don't have that big of an agenda to go through, but you ready to go through this? Yes, sir. All right. So I think as most of you know, at this point, NBA free agency agency is off and running. We've seen a boatload of contracts get signed. We've seen some Supermax contracts get signed, Um, but by far and away, the biggest news that has come away from the NBA free agency period or just the NBA offseason as a whole is the report of Kevin Durant asking for a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. And this was by far one of the biggest stories that took place last week. Uh, Kevin and I uh, weren't in a position to record last week when this news broke. Uh, So we're definitely Kyle from
0: the airport when it happened.
1: I I know, but we, we, we weren't in the booth. We weren't here. We weren't in the studio ready to go. So it was was nuts. It was just, you know, poor timing just, you know, based on, you know, you go into, uh, Going up north and then, you know, I had to work. So it it was just poor timing for uh, for both of us. But uh, this will basically kind of like a catch-up segment. Uh, We'll talk about the news of KD, you know, asking for the trade. And then, you know, potentially where he could be going if uh, Brooklyn gets a good trade package from any team that's willing to acquire KD. And then after that, we'll just talk about the Nets as a whole who are looking at basically the brink of an imminent collapse. Obviously, the KD news doesn't help them. Uh, Kyrie is being looked as a possible trade uh, option for Brooklyn. That that news has been kind of circulating for the last week and a half or so, but really the KD news is really what pushed this thing over the edge as far as Brooklyn is concerned. And we'll just talk about what their, what their immediate future is going to look like uh, based on all of the trade rumors circulating around KD and Kyrie. After that, we'll kick it over to Golden State. Uh, Golden State, you know, they're coming off of NBA championship just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but there has been some movement with some of their depth players uh being lost in free agency. They've also picked up a couple of players. We'll talk about the Warriors off-season at this point which is kind of uh ranked them and how they've done so far the first couple of days of the agency period. And then pretty much we'll wrap up the episode talking about just the boatload of supermax contracts that have been signed. Uh, we got players like Jokic, Beal, Diane Williamson, Carl Anthony Towns, Booker, John Morant. I mean, there's been a lot of guys that we can dive into that have signed Supermax contracts or just these massive contracts, upwards of over $200 million. And Kevin and I will kind of pick a player or two who we think is going to make out best uh, with their respective team uh, when they signed this Supermax deal. And we'll just talk about just how uh, their impact could be positive uh, impact for the team that they signed their deal with. But that'll pretty much be the uh, basically be it for the the entire episode. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into the Kevin Durant news. And Kev, I mean, I'm not going to ask you like, just like for the segment question yet, but I just got to ask you when that news broke of just KD asking for a trade from Brooklyn, I I just got to ask, like, what was your initial feeling?
0: I mean, my jaw dropped because, like I said, I was at the airport, and I was scrolling through Twitter casually, just, you know, waiting for my food. I was, you know, ordering food before I took off for my flight, and I had just literally opened the app and hit refresh, and the first thing I see is Kevin Durant memes, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what happened? I scroll down, and I see Sham's tweet from, like, four minutes ago of Kevin Durant officially requesting a trade. My my jaw legitimately dropped, and I called Kyle immediately. But what makes me laugh even further is that Shams tweeted that four minutes prior to me seeing it, and memes were already being made. Like, the internet's really undefeated. As fast as news comes out, jokes are put out even faster. So it's just like, you know, I, I had to chuckle. And uh, it was just something I didn't expect because Kyrie had opted in. Obviously, you know, Ben Simmons looked to have been, you know, ready to go. He had posted maybe an hour before Kevin tweeted or before Kevin made the decision. You know, he was in the lab, he was in the Nets locker room looking to work out. He said he had recovered from his back surgery. So I was like, okay, Kyrie one more time trying to prove himself. KD signed his max extension last year. Uh, A healthy Ben Simmons, they're going to run it back. Not to say that they're going to win a championship, but at least, you know, they have the drama put behind them, at least for this season. And then Kevin does what he does. So, yeah, dude, it, it, it's something I didn't expect whatsoever, especially after Kyrie opted in. It's the complete opposite of what I would have assumed would have happened.
1: I mean, really, for like a social media perspective, I mean, it just blew up instantly. Yeah. I mean, we had like, what, maybe like a 10, 15 minute conversation. Um, I was at work. You had just, I think, gotten to the airport. And, you know, we were, we were basically talking about like, dude, like Brooklyn's like done. Like, if, if this plays out the way that it was initially, like, reported uh, when the news broke, I mean, he was massive. And, you know, the crazy thing is, it's just kind of looking at this from a bigger perspective. Imagine how wild it would be if, if KD actually got traded. And just, like, like the package associated with that, that, that the team that would acquire him would have to give up to send to Brooklyn. Like, that's just wild. Like it, And even, like, we've talked about, like, I've talked about like the Lakers like potentially trying to trade LeBron James because it it, it, they kind of be getting to that point. Like it's still like wild to like imagine like these top tier players, like top five NBA players, getting involved in a trade. You typically like you might see guys that are like like second tier that get involved in a trade, but like like the top echelon guys, I'm talking like top tier. Never see those guys really in like a big, like seismic trade. Usually it's a free agency move. Contract runs out and they re up with a new team. That's typically how you see it. But with a trade, usually trades are kind of uncommon when it comes to like those top flight players. I mean, like the top of the top. But I I mean, dude, it, it was like you said, LeBron. It was just, it was so shocking. And You know, granted, obviously, we'll kind of dive into this story a little bit more in a minute, but just like, just just like my initial like feeling from it was like, just wow, like they're really thinking about possibly blowing it up. Now, granted, you know, just because Katie put the notion out there doesn't mean that Brooklyn's going to actually go out and do it unless they get like a really good package back from him. But, I mean, you know, if you're looking at the NBA landscape, the NBA landscape, I mean, there's going to be a bunch of suitors out there. They're going to be really basically willing to give up an arm and a leg to get Katie into the fold. So obviously we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but just, yeah, it was, it was a huge story that broke last week. And uh, it's just unfortunate that we weren't like in a position to talk about it just based on what we were doing at the time. But uh, to kind of like kick it to the actual uh, segment, you know, like we just stated, you know, Katie put the, put the notion out there that he wants to get traded from Brooklyn uh, Brooklyn is, I would assume, hearing offers from across the NBA landscape. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that it would take a massive trade package for Brooklyn to consider uh, pulling the trigger on a trade that would send Kevin Durant wherever across the NBA. But Kevin, I got to kick this one to you. Just give me your thoughts about what would happen if KD gets traded and the impact that it would have, not just with Brooklyn with him as an individual basketball player?
0: Well, I mean, you know, we're going to get into the, the the meaning of what happened with Brooklyn in just a few minutes. But in terms of, you know, keeping it simple, this is probably the biggest failure an organization has ever had to maintain a championship level of basketball. You know, you have KD three years ago sign, even though he was recovering from an Achilles injury. Uh, Kyrie leads the way and then gets injured. Then you have COVID and everybody knows what happens from there stemming on with Kyrie's inconsistencies to be on the floor. Um, Kevin Durant size an extension, they go after James Harden, that falls apart, they trade for Ben Simmons, all these different things, and now all three of them are probably not going to be on the team. And by three, I mean, you know, obviously James gets traded to Philly in the middle of the season last year, and then Kevin and Kyrie are looking to be removed or, you know, taken off of this roster in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn looks like a joke of an organization putting in everything they had to make Kevin Durant happy, but that kind of ties into my point about what this means for Kevin Durant and his career. I think this taints his legacy. I think this is going to immediately hinder what people view of Kevin Durant as a player in the NBA during his tenure. Things got choppy in OKC. They blow a 3-1 lead. He doesn't just go to the team that beat him. He goes to the best team in the NBA who just came off of a championship or just you know came off of a, a championship run. And they obviously blew that in the Warriors 3-1 against the Cavs. You went back to back. You you get hurt in 2019 against Toronto, and then you leave for whatever reason, whether that's internal beef with Draymond, whether that's you're too sensitive, whether you felt like you wanted to do this alone, whatever. You go to Brooklyn. This situation happens, but Brooklyn gives you everything you ask for. Brooklyn gets you the head coach you wanted. Brooklyn gets your boy DeAndre Jordan a massive extension, knowing that he wasn't capable of playing at that level anymore. Brooklyn cha- uh, trades for James Harden. Brooklyn gets rid of James Harden. Like They did everything that KD had asked for. They gave KD the keys to the kingdom and he still requested a trade when things got rough. Uh I understand that dealing with Kyrie was a nightmare. I understand that, you know, Kyrie did not make it easy on you as a teammate, as a player, maybe even as a person. But when you sign a contract of that much uh and for that magnitude, you stick with an organization. It's not like Brooklyn wasn't competing for the playoffs. It's not like the roster currently assimilated as it's you know, currently constructed is not a playoff contending roster. It's not like you have absolute scrubs behind you when you know that Joe Harris was hurt last season. Ben Simmons was hurt for his tenure in in Brooklyn. Uh, Seth Curry was getting in a groove. He didn't get to play a lot. Um, You know, Nicholas Claxton was coming into his own when his role off the bench and so many other pieces. Kyrie was unavailable for the majority of the season last year. It's not like Brooklyn had completely lost every single meaningful player on their roster. So for him to opt out just makes him look very weak, and it definitely does make him look like somebody that cannot handle any type of adversity. And quite frankly, it makes him look soft. So overall, I would definitely say that this request for a trade is, is definitely hindering to his reputation as a, as a player. And then, you know, despite whether or not Brooklyn is able to trade him now or during the season, there, there was a report that said that Kevin, or a few reports, Kevin is looking to play for a team that already has a minimum of an all-star or two, so he's looking to go to a contender. Obviously, he all, there was also a statement from Brooklyn that they are expecting Kevin to be on the opening day roster along with Kyrie because they are waiting for the right packages. So they're not just going to trade him until they receive the right offer for him, which, as Kyle alluded to, is probably going to be one of the biggest hauls in NBA history in terms of personnel, draft picks, cash considerations, whatever it is it's going to be. Um, Kevin Durant is going to deem a a pretty hefty price in terms of trade value. So we'll see what happens. But overall, Brooklyn looks like a joke and Kevin Durant just looks really, really bad right now.
1: I mean, when it comes to Kevin's status on Brooklyn, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Just because he put the notion out there that he wants to get traded from Brooklyn, it doesn't mean that, that Brooklyn's going to go out there and actually make the move to trade him unless they get like you said, a significant trade package uh, back in return for Kevin Durant. And it's like we just stated, to be able to get Kevin Durant in a trade, granted, it's great on paper for whoever's, you know, going out and getting him. But at what cost is it going to be? And, you know, that's going to be something that a lot of these teams are going to have to consider uh, going into the rest of the offseason if they're able to get Kevin Durant into the fold. Now, when it comes to Katie's player as a status, status as a player, excuse me, I think I kind of understand where uh, Kevin's sentiment is as far as uh, it just kind of makes him weak. That's kind of been a running theme when it comes to Kevin Durant, probably the last five or six years or so, because look, I mean, when he left Oklahoma City, he joined the team that beat him in the Western Conference Finals the season prior and joined arguably the best team in the NBA at that time in the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors had just come off a 73 and nine record during the regular season. that they did lose to the Cavs that year, but you know, when you bring somebody in like Kevin Durant and Durant, you know, joins the team that beat him, that team was essentially unbeatable. And I think, you know, when I saw Durant leave Oklahoma City, it was because I think he was done with the idea of always just coming up short. And I think he wanted to be surrounded by basketball players because the one thing that he had said about his time in OKC was that he was surrounded by a bunch of athletes. When he went to Golden State, he said he was surrounded by a bunch of basketball players who know the ins and outs and all the nuances and intricacies that come with just certain elements of the game. And I think he appreciated that. Now, when it comes to Brooklyn here, I think the Brooklyn situation is a little bit different because I think the primary factor here is Kyrie. Because when KD went to Brooklyn, it was tied to Kyrie Irving. And that one-two punch of KD and Kyrie, I mean, on paper, it's phenomenal. And when KD first went there, a lot of people were thinking that Brooklyn was going to be a top-flight team in the Eastern Conference. A team that was going to be consistently getting to the finals and could potentially even be NBA Finals champions. And within two to three years of this assembling of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it looks like it's essentially falling apart. And once again, you know, Brooklyn is going through this experiment where they bring in some pretty top flight players and it just basically crashes and burns. It kind of almost reminds me of the situation that Brooklyn was in a couple of years ago. Actually, I should say it was probably like a decade ago at this point when Brooklyn went out and acquired Paul Pierce, Kevin Durant, and not Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett, excuse me. And I think they made like one or two playoff appearances, but I don't even think they got past the second round of the playoffs. And the same thing happened. It just kind of crashed and burned. Uh, very similar to what happened here. I think this one though is a little bit different because this one is on a bigger scale because both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are in the prime of their careers. And when you see, Essentially, just this team falling apart at the seams based on the fact that you know, Kevin's injury history the last couple of years has been checkered, to say the least. Kyrie's availability is not one to be trusted because he's you know, focused on a political stance one week. He might have a COVID stance the other week. He may just not generally feel like playing basketball at a certain time of the week. You never know what's going to happen with Kyrie's status when it comes to his availability. And I just think that the Kyrie issues... The fact that I don't think that Kevin sees this team really progressing past what they were last year. I think he thinks that the writing is on the wall and he knows that this team isn't really going to go anywhere despite the fact that, bro, he's Kevin Durant. He's a top two, top three player in the NBA right now. And if he's fleeing a situation in in Brooklyn where, let's face it, it was a disappointment for them last year to get knocked out of the first round and to get swept by Boston last year. They were the only team in the playoffs that didn't win a game. All of the teams in the playoffs last year, at least won one game except for Brooklyn and Brooklyn was this quote unquote super team that, you know, initially at the beginning of the year had Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving. And I think in grand total, I think they played like probably like three or four games together as a cohesive unit, which is just insane when you think about it. But the overall, I mean, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, this is a very interesting situation when it comes to KD uh, with this uh, trade request. Obviously we'll see whether or not that Brooklyn uh, admires or honors that, um, that trade request. But overall, it seems to me that Kevin just gave up on the Brooklyn experiment. And I think it's because the Kyrie issues are significant. And I think that Kevin's of the mindset that this team isn't really going to get past the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Even despite the fact that you have legitimately two of the top 10 players in the NBA, which is just absolutely insane when you think about it. But yeah, if I had to say, I just think he's giving up on it. And um, I guess that kind of just fits the bill of what Durant has been like the last couple of years. Uh, just giving up on teams gave up on Oklahoma's. He gave up with the thunder a couple of years ago. I wouldn't say that he gave up with the warriors. I think he just found a, what he thought was a better situation with Brooklyn. But in this situation, I think he's just giving up on the situation. He's just trying to find greener pastures elsewhere, but uh, we'll see how this plays out. But uh, yeah, wouldn't surprise me if we see Katie on the move this off season. It kind of sucks. Um, I defended
0: Kevin in his move to Golden State. I've always liked Kevin Durant as a player. Um, I what? did. I, 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 I did. I did defend his move to, uh, you well, know, in the moment. I said, you know, he's tired of dealing with Westbrook, and you know, blah 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 blah.
1: We got you. Got to have to explain this one because this one's actually new by me. I I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I I tried to defend him in the sense of you know, well, did it, and Braun teamed up with you know, Bosch and them, and obviously back then I was a, a massive LeBron hater, and not that I like him anymore but i like i do it's i like i don't like him less if that makes sense anyway um i felt that kevin durant needed a change of scenery because it, it just you know it wasn't going to get done with russell in that series he was scoring 30 points per game uh he wasn't getting a lot of help from his teammates when they were in the finals uh, everybody choked kd again averaged 30 it's not like he wasn't doing what he needed to do in okc and, uh, you know, the reports came out when he did go to OKC that him and Westbrook were beefing in certain instances. And kind of like Kyle alluded to, um, KD was looking for more of a basketball playing group as opposed to, you know, a group of athletes. And, and, and again, I really, really liked Kevin Durant and I wanted to see him succeed. Uh, but this 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 move potentially is going to be definitely inexcusable. Because the teams that he requested to be traded to or that he had the highest interest in are the two number one seeds of both respective conferences in the Miami Heat and the Phoenix Suns. So it's just not a good look. It's looking like he's going to dip and run to a better team once again. But I, I stand by what I said, man. His reputation is in shambles if this happens. Because you got everything you wanted in Brooklyn. You got the players you wanted. You got the coach you wanted. You got the money you wanted. And you're still leaving because things are getting a little bit challenging. So uh yeah, just it's overall it's sad because like I said I like KD but what are you going to do?
1: You know, I think the one thing that you could probably make uh I would say an objective critique of Durant at this point is that it seems to me that whenever there's an element of adversity, no matter what sort of team that he's on, the first window of opportunity he gets to possibly leave, he's gone. And we've seen that before. We saw that with OKC where it always kind of seemed like, you know, the media was always kind of focused on trying to divide the team between Russell and KD. But, you know, when I look at the adversity of what Kevin faced with the Thunder, I think it was of the mind, I think he was of the mindset that, it's like we just stated, I think he thought that he was surrounded by athletes. And then when he went to Golden State, He was surrounded by a much better cast of basketball players that I think elevated his game to a whole new level. But then, you know, when it got to the end of the Golden State tenure, I mean, I vividly remember him and Draymond were not seeing eye to eye. I think Draymond just called him like a straight-up bitch. Um, Probably, amongst other things. You know, granted, I don't know if that was said like in a locker room meeting, but obviously there was some tension that was brewing between Draymond, and Durant, and it seemed like to me that was the one element that led KD to possibly look for a new destination to play, and then that led to Brooklyn. And then when you look at Brooklyn so far, you know, granted, this past year was just an abject failure as far as I'm concerned when it came to their unit as a whole. And it, I think when you tie in the factor of, you know, the whole James Harden situation and the fluid situation that that was when he was with Brooklyn, he brought a whole element of drama and attention that I don't think Brooklyn was really looking for. And I don't think that Durant was looking for. And then Kyrie complicates the matters because of his COVID stance, whether you thought he was right or wrong in that situation, he missed half of the season because he couldn't play any of the home games until the playoffs. So the whole availability uh, point when it came to Kyrie, I think was also another factor that Kevin is probably looking at. And I think I think he probably had an idea of where the team was probably going to go this off season when it came to free agency moves or potential trades that they might make. And I think he just sees the writing on the wall and the general direction of where the team is headed. And he doesn't see a positive outcome. And I think that's really kind of the crux of what comes down to that trade request. I think he sees that. I think he's done his time there. He sees a pretty large looming of adversity uh, coming up pretty soon. And I think he's just trying to get out before things really get bad in Brooklyn. And I think, you know, once KD leaves and potentially Kyrie, if he heads out as well, you know, Brooklyn's going to be an absolute black hole in the NBA. I mean, I know, I know we've kind of used that term uh, with Cleveland back in the day, Detroit, Sacramento. And Brooklyn would kind of be in that same that same category as well. And it's unfortunate because obviously Brooklyn had high hopes when they brought Katie and Kyrie into the fold, but yeah, this is, this is looking pretty bad and that's going to actually transition into our next segment when it comes to Brooklyn as a whole. So Kevin, just to kind of kick this one to you, when you look at the Brooklyn nets at this current moment in time, just take in stock and assess the current state of the Nets and how you see this offseason playing out with them in the next couple of weeks or so.
0: I mean, I've heard of a multitude of takes, I've heard a multitude of different podcasts and uh, analysts, professionals just kind of give their thoughts on Brooklyn. And I've devised kind of my own thought process. And I apologize, I think I have an eyelash in my eye. It's killing me. Uh, I really think that Brooklyn is one of those franchises that is always going to swing for the fences in terms of trying to win right now as opposed to building something for the future. Kyle made the point. They've done this in the past with KG, Paul Pierce, and they try to make this super team with, you know, Brooke Lopez Young, Chris Humphreys, Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce, and and everything. And it just it didn't work. It was an absolute flop. They traded their entire future for it. They were just starting to get better with youth with the Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, D'Angelo Russell, when he got uh, sent to Brooklyn over from the... uh, What was it? I think he got sent from the Lakers, right? In what? The D'Angelo Russell trade that sent him to Brooklyn. Did he go to Brooklyn or he went...
1: Yes, he went to Brooklyn first.
0: Yeah. So, like, you know, they were starting to acquire younger pieces, drafted a couple of different people, and then what happens? Immediately again... They have an opportunity to go sign some Max players. They let some of their youthful players go. They trade away. Or no, they lose Dinwiddie in free agency to Washington. And we all know the history from there. The issue is they gave up their future for James Harden this time. And they gave up a lot for him. Now you're just going to be stuck with Ben Simmons. Patty Mills re-signed. Obviously, you still have Claxton who re-signed. You have Seth Curry who's still there. Joe Harris is coming back from injury. The roster in and of itself is not a bad roster. And whatever it is you get from trading KD and Kyrie, you're going to receive a massive haul in return, which obviously Brooklyn is requesting. They receive either multiple All-Stars and All-Star picks or pick swaps, like anybody else would want. So Brooklyn's going to get a lot of good pieces that I think they are still going to be viable in the Eastern Conference. But as an organization, in terms of what they did for this Kevin Durant situation, It's just not a good look. This is the second time you've struck out in literally a decade. You need to chill out and realize, okay, maybe we can't swing for the fences every single opportunity we get for a big-time free agent. Kevin Durant is great. Kyrie is great. But it's just an example as to how it could not be great. You know, things did not pan out the way that you had hoped. And obviously, you know, the, the big... Two that you uh, put together didn't play a lot of games together between injury and Kyrie stances. And then, of course, the big three that didn't even pan out to be a big three, they played less than 20 games together in terms of being at full health and capacity. So it's like you can't seem to get the formula right. You can't seem to win. You haven't gotten out of the second round since this since this duo has been assimilated. And you just look like a doofus, like you look kind of corny. It's just nothing you do seems to go right. It's like I don't know how else to put it. Brooklyn looks like an absolute retarded, or excuse me, we'll take that out of the episode. Actually, Brooklyn looks like an absolute mess. They look like a dumpster fire, and like Kyle alluded to, it really does look like a uh, a Cleveland back in the day, a Detroit, uh, a Sacramento kind of destination right now because they just can't seem to get the the the, the player personnel correct. And I don't feel bad for the team. I feel bad for the fans. Because, you know, when Kyrie and KD signed, they were excited, as they should be. And uh, it just, it it ended up not working out. And it it ended up not working out in a really, really bad way. So, Brooklyn's got a lot to think about. They're basically back at the drawing board again. And it's just a matter of what they're going to be able to obtain from trading the two superstars that is Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving.
1: You know what's kind of funny? Is when I look at Brooklyn... I look at this from a front office perspective, just just kind of like as his first point. If you bring Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant into the fold, I'm not gonna lie. If I was an NBA executive, if I'm in a front office position and I'm willing and dealing to to get those types of players into our fold and get them on the team, I feel like I've done a pretty good job to be able to retain those types of players. And I'm not gonna lie, when the team initially got Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and then even added James Harden on top of that. I I mean, look, that's a hell of a trio to work with. And from a front office perspective, I think Brooklyn was like, we got a squad. And on paper, you'd be hard-pressed to say anything otherwise. Because you got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. you, You basically have three of the top 10 players in the NBA on that roster. And yet you pretty much are going to have nothing to show for it. I mean, it's an utter collapse. It's basically an utter embarrassment if this ends up with not only James moving on, but with Kevin and Kyrie possibly getting moved as well. It would just be an utter disaster. But I'm going to be honest, Kev. I can't really blame the front office. I feel like the front office did their job here to be able to bring those guys into the fold. I just don't think that the players and the coaching personnel were able to make it work. It's a chemistry issue. And I think that's really going to be what this whole team is going to possibly collapse on. It's not the front office. It was just the the player personnel and the coaching staff. That's what I think is going to be uh, the Achilles heel. When we all look back at this, you know, in the next couple of years or so, I mean, you know, when the Nets formed this major super team with Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving, I think even Kevin and I were looking at the situation that Brooklyn would be competing for NBA titles for the foreseeable future because of that trio. Now, granted, the the one thing that you kind of have to take into account is if you have three major players that are in the starting five on the roster, the rest of the team is going to be relatively weak when it comes to essentially your bench, essentially some of the role players that you're going to be able to have. And at best, all you're going to be able to do is bring a couple free agents in on some veteran minimum deals and hope for the best. But, you know, I was in the mindset that, that Brooklyn was going to be able to compete for a title with those three guys in the fold. Obviously, James brought a lot of baggage uh, from his Houston tenure. Obviously, that didn't work out very well. Excuse me, that was, he came from, no, 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 I got that one right. Came from Houston, then went to Philly. Um, You know, Kyrie, uh, Kyrie's a great player. I think we could all see that Kyrie is one of the the best players in the NBA when it comes to his overall jump shooting abilities, when it comes to his ability to dribble, his ability to handle. But when it comes to his availability, it's been a point of contention the last couple of years, and it reared its ugly head this past season with the Nets when he missed half of the games because he wasn't able to play home games because of uh, the COVID restrictions that New York set in place uh, when it came to entertainment venues. And then when you look at Kevin Durant, you know, Grant, Kevin Durant was coming off an Achilles tear the last year he was with Golden State. So his injury history has definitely been a point of contention and he hasn't been healthy the last couple of years on top of the Achilles tear that he had uh, before he went to Brooklyn. Even despite that, I thought that Brooklyn would be able to make this thing work, possibly compete for a title, maybe even two, but it's going to look like it's going to crash and burn within really like two or three years after this came into its inception. And I mean, to me, when you look at really like, I would say teams that have really gone out of their way to assemble super teams or you know, teams that have really gone far beyond to be able to build a championship contending team that is going to try to win here. And now, at least some of these teams have been able to succeed. You could look back at 2008 with what the Celtics were able to do with Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, they joined forces with Paul Pierce. They were able to win a title in 2008. They went back to the finals in 2010. They lost to the Lakers, but in a three-year stretch, they went to two finals, and they were competing with the Miami Heat in multiple uh, deep runs into the playoffs, but they had about a five-year window, but they were able to get uh, two finals appearances out of it and got one championship out of it. If you look at Miami in uh, 2010 when they were able to bring in LeBron James and Chris Bosh. They joined forces with Dwayne Wade. Uh, they went to four straight finals. They were able to win two of them. Uh, you look at Golden State uh, the last couple of years when they had Kevin Durant. He joined forces with Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Andrea Green and Andre Iguodala. You could arguably say that's probably one of the best starting fives in NBA history. and They were able to win some titles as well and We're pretty much going to the finals every single year that Durant was on the roster. And then when you look at this this super team with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they weren't even able to make a finals appearance. And you had three of the top 10 players in the NBA to do that, and it just failed miserably. So it's very unfortunate for Brooklyn. I think from the front office perspective, I think they did what they needed to do. Uh, to bring some championship contending players into the fold. The players and the, the coaching personnel, they weren't able to lock down the chemistry. They weren't able to lock down the right personnel groupings. They weren't able to play what I would say is effective defense because they were giving up points left and right as a unit. And it looks like, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving could be on their way out within the next couple of weeks or so. Now, granted, you know, no, that's worst case scenario. But there's a there's a slight chance that Kyrie Irving... And Kevin Durant could be back in the fold for opening night on this upcoming season. And maybe they just kind of play this thing out and hope for the best. But if the worst case scenario were to happen and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving get shipped off and they're not with the Nets going into next season, this Brooklyn experiment is just an outright failure. And basically like right now they're teetering on just an imminent collapse. And there really is no other way to say it. It's like, they're this close just completely falling apart and becoming literally another black hole in the NBA right alongside teams like the Pistons and the Kings, because those teams are going nowhere anytime soon. And it seems like the way that Brooklyn's on their trajectory is going to follow very similar to those teams that I just outlined. So yeah, this is like DEFCON one when it comes to the Nets at this point, because things are getting real dicey real fast.
0: Yeah, things are getting out of control. It's not a good look. Like I said, Brooklyn as an organization just seems to be one of those swing and miss kind of franchises, not realizing that if you don't adhere to what you need, it's just it's it's not going to pan out. I get what Kyle said. If you have an opportunity to get a superstar or megastar, you go and do it. But at the pace they've done it and the amount of opportunities they've had and have squandered, you might want to take a break from doing that because a it takes up cap space b most superstars nowadays unfortunately have an ego and 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 c you can't do it without multiple superstars anymore you know you you kind of look at it and you say you know the last couple of championships outside of Toronto's 2019 run um they had a multitude of superstars. You know, Kawhi was the only one of the 2019 team. Pascal Siakam was an All Star that year, but he wasn't necessarily somebody that was a Steph and a Clay, a Steph and a KD, a LeBron and a Kyrie. You know,
1: Kyle Lowry was on that team.
0: But was he detrimental? Was he another megastar though? That's what I'm saying. Like, was I he a say, super team person?
1: No, but, Like, you know, he's a solid. He was a solid player. He had role players. Was, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they they, they had role so, players. He was solid. Necessarily classify him as a role player that year. I mean, he was still a pivotal piece for them. But would I say like he was like you know if Kawhi was like one A was you know Kyle Lowry like one B when it comes to superstar status? No, but no Kyle Lowry was very effective for Toronto was for over a decade at this like you know before he ended up going to Miami.
0: I'm just looking at it and saying to compete for a championship this year, the majority of teams that are competing have two or more superstars on their roster. And that's just, unfortunately, the way that the NBA is today. So, I mean, we'll just kind of see what happens with Brooklyn um, as the offseason progresses. But there is a team. There,
1: there, there might be one. Let me ask you. When it came to the Bucks, who won, not this past year, but the year prior, would you say, like, Chris Middleton was a, like, star? I mean, granted that they had Giannis. They had Drew Holiday. But... I wouldn't know, but they had
0: they had well above average role players for sure. Like Chris Middleton is an all star. Uh, Drew Holiday to me is probably the best perimeter defender at the point guard position, and you know, he makes a very very big difference.
1: You know how I feel about Drew Holiday. He's great in spurts, but 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 man, when he's off, dude, he's
0: off not not disagreeing you know you have a, a good veteran big that knows his role in brooke lopez bobby portis is nice they had a very very good put together team i'll give them that
1: they, they were they were a well-rounded team but really, correct i would say that Giannis was like the only superstar with that team but that kind yeah. of like it goes to the point that you're basically saying that by and large when it comes to teams that are winning nba finals it usually consists of two nba superstars to be able to get it done by today's standards. Sadly. But I can't say that that's going to last forever because we have seen teams in the past. You could look to the Spurs um, in like the middle 2010s. Granted, you know, Tim Duncan, I would say like he was a superstar, but he was, he wasn't flashy, very traditional. He, he
0: was, he was a superstar in his prime. Maybe not the later championships, the two, like the one against no, the heat. No, I'm, t-
1: I'm talking about the 2010s when he was kind of like reaching like the end of his career. They had a good balance of, like, a veteran presence with him, uh, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. Tony Parker. And then then Kawhi was on his ascension. I mean, Kawhi was still—he was really young uh, during those middle 2010 runs, but still gave LeBron hell on the defensive side. So, But, no, like, you know, it does take, like, I think, like, a really good coach to be able to form a well-rounded team instead of just, you know, having a a decent coach and then you have, like, two or three superstars that really kind of carry the weight. So really, just kind of depends on how you assemble the team, but no, your your overall point when it comes to just it, like having two superstars on the same roster to be able to get a finals uh, title, I, I'm not really in disagreement with that. I think I think you're on point with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, not everybody has that, that that benefactor, but there is a team that was able to draft a couple of superstars that is looking to have a little bit of a. Repeat of success next season. Let's just put it that way. And that's the Golden State Warriors.
1: Yeah, so obviously Golden State is fresh off of winning an NBA title just a couple of weeks ago. But like every other team, they got to go through the offseason. They got to go through free agency as well. And there has been some shifting that has taken place on Golden Golden State's roster. Uh, Some of the moves include guys like Juan Toscano Anderson. He signed with the Lakers. Gary Payton II has also left Golden State. Uh, they were able to bring in uh, Dante uh, DiVincenzo. It, he played for the Milwaukee Bucks. That was the last team that he was playing for. And, they and then he got also- traded to the Kings. He traded to the Kings. Last year, yeah. Oh, uh, then I missed that part. So I forgot about... The- oh, that, that's what I mean about Sacramento being a black hole, bro. Like <laughs> Anybody that goes there, you, know, you kind of forget about them until they go to a different team. Um, but the Warriors were also able to re-sign uh, Kavon Looney. Uh, Kevon Looney was absolutely pivotal uh, in multiple stretches for Golden State in their playoff run uh, this past year that led to an NBA title. So there's definitely been some shifting that's taken place with Golden State. Obviously, some of the biggest domino pieces with Golden State include guys like Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, who haven't really been uh, discussed yet as far as getting extensions with Golden State or have been on the move to new teams. Now, with that being said, Kevin, to get this one to you, how would you assess Golden State's offseason so far? Right now, I'm giving it a C-
0: just because of the pivotal importance of some of the pieces that were gone or that they've lost. Juan Toscano Anderson being the least important. He didn't really get a lot of playing time in the playoffs. So, I mean, he was somebody that you can lose. I mean, he was a great bench player. He was good for depth purposes, but he wasn't somebody that was necessarily important. To their direct rotation. Gary Payton, the second, however, one of their if not their, one of their, if not their best defenders, uh, who emerged to be quite a spark plug off the bench with his athleticism, his development of his three-point shot, and then of course his versatility on the defensive end. Uh, he's gone and he's gone to Portland. Otto Porter Jr., who was trying to revitalize his career, he ended up going to Toronto. Somebody who was able to hit consistent shots throughout the postseason. Not somebody that's going to give you 15 or 20 points every given night, but when his number is called, he gets you some buckets, he gets you some good rebounding. He was a pretty solid defender. Um, Again, more so for a depth purpose, more so to just kind of, you know, be able to play a multitude of positions, especially when Golden State went small. But overall, um, three pieces that I feel like... um, Well, two of the three were irreplaceable pieces. DiVincenzo gives you more of an athletic guard, um, not something that they really need right now. They needed that defensive anchor with Steph not being the best defender, Clay getting up there in age, Jordan Poole not being a great defender, and so on and so forth. So I agree with Kyle. The only reason I'm giving it a C is because they still have an opportunity to re-sign Andrew Wiggins. They still have an opportunity to go out there, re-sign Jordan Poole in which I don't know if they're going to be able to do both. Kyle and I have already talked about this a multitude of times. They're going to have to make a decision on which one they do. If they're able to get both, great, because they didn't have to pay those other players that I just rattled off that left in free agency. But if Jordan Poole wants to go out there and seek a massive extension, or excuse me, seek a a massive contract, if Andrew Wiggins is content with winning one championship and saying, you know what, screw it, Um, I'm just going to go out here and go chase a bag one more time since obviously. He got that big extension in Minnesota a few years back. But I, I think Golden State needs to really, really pay attention because if they were to lose, hypothetically, and Kyle and I have talked about this off the air, if they were to lose both Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, I'm not saying their title hopes are 100% gone, but there is a massive gash in the possibility of repeating because you lose five important players in a matter of one offseason And then there were rumors, supposedly, that Kevin Durant was willing to uh, accept a reunion back to Golden State, which would mean that they'd have to trade a lot of pieces that would include the likes of Jordan Poole and Kaminga and multiple picks to get him back, which would deplete their bench that much further. So Golden State has a lot to worry about. I would say that Golden State right now is a little bit more in panic mode than come because they need to make sure that they do re-sign those two players. Otherwise, It's going to be a really, really, really long season for them next year.
1: I think when it comes to just Golden State as a whole, when it comes to this offseason, honestly, this seems pretty traditional to me. Uh, Usually when you come off of a fantastic year, a a title contending year where you go out and you win an NBA Finals, obviously the guys that are role players on the team that have reached the end of their contract, uh, they're going to maximize as much profit as possible off of that. And you know, see guys like Juan Toscano-Anderson uh, leave to free agency. You also see uh, another one. Just thinking, Gary Payton the second. Auto Porter. Oh, Gary. Uh, Gary Payton the second. Auto Porter Junior. I've drawn a blank there for a second. It Was weird. I just brought those guys up like a minute ago. Um, it doesn't really surprise me. Uh, those guys are trying to maximize their value as much as they can, um, based off the season that they had. And I think to a certain extent. I think they're kind of like riding the coattails off of what you know Steph, play and Draymond were able to do, even Andrew Wiggins as well. Just because obviously the guys that I just mentioned, like those are like the major pieces when it comes to Golden State's success. But the fact that you know these these smaller depth players, with the role players like Gary Payton II, um, Otto Porter Jr., and I keep drawing blanks with bro. I don't know what it is. Gary but, Payton II. You know, I, I already brought him up. But despite that, the basic premise is, is that you know, those guys are you know finding good contracts to land with a different team, but they're just trying to maximize their value. Now, let me get to the bigger point here. What is going to happen with Golden State for the next year or two based on the fact if they lose Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, like Kevin had outlined the possibility of that potentially happening? I'm not going to go as far to say like the Warriors' finals hopes would just be dashed at that point, and it is over when it comes to their championship window. I'm not going to make that mistake again. Um, I think if you look back at some of the the tapes that Kevin and I have, specifically me in this regard, I was in the mindset that I think Golden State's championship window was going to come to an end, and it looked like injuries were going to be the main reason behind it. Steph was getting hurt a lot. Raymond um, was was getting older, and it seemed like his his skills were starting to diminish as well. He had his own little injury issues as well. Clay Thompson, you know, facing significant injuries with you know a torn Achilles and a torn ACL, having those injuries back to back, it's just absolutely killer um, to his career. But he was able to bounce back in a pretty tremendous way, and he was one of the pivotal pieces alongside Steph Curry and Draymond, you know, that got Golden State another title. This year, but you know, not being able to retain Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, I think that would just be extremely detrimental uh, going into next year for them to possibly repeat. I still think that golden state is a great team. As long as they have Steph clay and Draymond, if they have that core group together, despite whatever sort of role players that they have in the fold, that team is still going to be able to compete. And that's despite the fact that they're in a loaded Western conference. I have to say, you know, when you look at the landscape of the Western conference, there are going to be teams that are going to be retooling this off season. And they're going to be looking at golden state Golden State's going to have a target on their back. And there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be running and gunning for that top spot in the Western conference. There's going to be teams like it'd say the Lakers, the Lakers had a terrible year last year, but they could try to retool and try to get back into the fold uh, going into the Western conference playoffs next year. You could look at teams like Denver, Denver's going to get Jamal Murray back after he missed the entire season last year. You look at Nikola Jokic alongside Murray, that that duo right there, that's going to be a dangerous combo right there. You look at the Dallas Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks got all the way to the Western Conference Finals, but nobody was expecting that. Luka Doncic, Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, those two together, you never count those guys out. They're going to be a little bit different without Jalen Brunson, but still, you know, it's Luka Doncic, and that guy can carry the Mavs a long way. Uh, you could look at the Clippers. You could look at you know Kawhi and Paul George coming back into the fold. Obviously, Kawhi missed the entire season last year with an ACL injury. That could be a team that could be vying for one of the top spots in the Western Conference spot in the Western Conference as a whole. Uh, Phoenix uh, they had a very disappointing end to their season this past year, losing to the Mavs in the second round despite posting the best record in the NBA. So I mean, when you look at the Warriors the Warriors are facing a very tough competition landscape with the Western Conference next year. There's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be running and gunning to get to the finals next year. But I'm of the mindset that as long as they have Steph, Clay, and Draymond, I think that they're still going to be a viable team in the Western Conference. Obviously, they would be hurt if they lost Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole because I think those guys provide invaluable assets and just invaluable skills to that team. And if they were able to retain them, I think Golden State is in a prime position uh, to go back to another finals next year. But I think if they lose one and even potentially two, yeah, they could be in some trouble when it comes to their overall finals aspirations. But I think they're still going to be a playoff contending team next year. I'm not going to slight on them. I did that the last year or two and it reared its ugly head towards me and I got to pay the price for that. But overall, I think I think Golden State is having what I would consider a shaky offseason so far, but I think that's really just based on the fact that there's just a lot of roster turnover. Guys are maximizing their value, and that just kind of comes with the process of winning a championship, of trying to retain Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. That's of prime importance for them at this point. If they're able to do that, I think they'll be fine. But time will tell, and we'll just kind of see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, um Golden State's got potential. We all know that. Golden State's got the pieces to do what they need to do in order to repeat. You know, I was kind of just going along the lines of the more depth you lose, the harder and the more, the more pressure it's going to put on the older but, you know, important pieces that are Klay Thompson and, and and Steph and they're going to have to play more minutes and we all know what happens with that. You know, the older you get, higher risk of injury and so on and so forth. But the point of what I'm getting at is Golden State cannot let these pieces slip away. They cannot sit there and kind of lay back and say we can we can live without them. We'll be fine. Let's let's not be arrogant. We all know what happened when Steph came out a couple of times. When Clay had off games, uh, whether in the regular season or in the postseason, there were people that were able to step up, and that was a team contribution. Outside of a select few, of course, we all know Jordan Poole stepped up a lot, um, and of course Draymond had to step up a little bit more this season. So. Outside of those couple people, um, it's going to be necessary for this team to have that success all over again. We're just going to have to see how Golden State is going to replace those three. And hopefully they don't have to worry about replacing the other two that we had mentioned in Wiggins and Poole.
1: Well, I mean, mean, let's face it. You know, the NBA offseason is still relatively young. Uh, There's still going to be a lot more moves that are going to take place this offseason. Golden State, I, I imagine they have probably a backup plan based on the possibility of Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole potentially leaving. But you know, look, I- I'm not going to take Golden State for granted anymore. You know, I did that the last couple of years just because I thought that injuries were going to derail them as a whole. And that was going to be the reason why their championship window was closed. And I was under that mindset. And they proved me wrong, so I got to give them credit for that. So you know, I'm of the mindset, if they're able to retain that main core of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, As long as they stay healthy, that's always the biggest thing. That team will always compete for a title. And they're always going to have a target on their back because of that. Just because, I mean, let's face it. They've been to, what, six finals in the last eight years? Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah. So, they're the ones with the targets on their back right now. But I still think that, even despite that, despite the fact that they are getting older, despite the fact that they're... They're pretty much on the back nine of their respective careers at this point with that main core. That doesn't mean that they, can, they can't they can finish strong on that back nine. And I think over the next couple of years, I think they'll still be a viable team. No matter what the landscape of the Western Conference is, I still think that they're a viable team. But to your point, they lose Andrew and they lose Jordan. That's a tough look, bro. That's going to hurt. But with that said... We are going to transition to some guys who are not hurting, and that is guys, top flight players that have made just absolute you know, record-breaking contract deals. Usually, at the beginning of free agency, you always see basically this flurry of massive supermax contracts or max contracts getting signed, and we've seen a boatload of players uh, throughout the NBA, guys like Nikola Jokic, Bradley Beal, Zion Williamson, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, John Morant, Zach Levine, Darius Garland all have signed these massive supermax or max contracts for the next four to five years. I mean, a lot of these guys are making over $200 million. I think Jokic had the biggest contract out of all of them. He's making at least $250 million if not closer to $260 million. Just absolutely insane, bro. And that's on a five-year deal, correct? Yep. So, obviously... There's a lot of guys that we could talk about here. We're going to focus on who is going to make out the best on their respective team now that they've signed their max contract. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with all of these NBA players signing these massive super max contracts, guys like Jokic, Bradley Beal, and Zion Williamson, just to name a few, who do you think is going to make out best from signing their deal? And who do you think is going to have the biggest impact with their respective team now that they've signed these teams?
0: Well, I mean, the biggest name, I have two. The biggest name is going to be, of course, the back-to-back defending MVP and Nikola Jokic because his running mate is coming back next year in Jamal Murray. The status of Michael Porter Jr. is still in the air, but if they can get him back for at least half of the season, that's going to get him into a rhythm. That's going to mean that Denver can compete for a top seed in the West. And of course, that means that they're going to be able to compete for a championship. Their biggest issue was they did not have a lot of support outside of Jokic because Aaron Gordon is not an offensive reliable player. Monty Morris is not somebody that you can rely on on a consistent basis. Um, But of course, at the end of the day, when you get the most expensive contract in NBA history, you're a back-to-back MVP award winner. um, The next step for you to do is kind of compete for a championship. You know, you've you've gotten the accolades, you've gotten the record of number one seed or number two seed in the Western Conference before. Denver has unfortunately just been riddled with injuries the last two years. Jokic locking down and staying in Denver just shows he's committed and, of course, was not going to pass up a couple extra million. But again, Denver has been competitive, which leads me to believe that I think that Jokic is going to have a decent run into next year's playoffs. Now, the second person is a rookie extension, which is John Morant. The Grizzlies were the two seed. John Morant missed a lot of time this year. John Morant missed some time in the playoffs uh ja it showed a lot a lot a lot of improvement in a multitude of ways between court vision on the defensive side of the ball and then of course the shooting percentages were all going up but ja Morant is a absolute mega star in the making he's showtime he's electric he's athletic he knows how to rile up a crowd um i think that memphis showed us that they can compete uh they took golden state to six i believe that this team when healthy can make noise in the postseason next year, and with Jaw signing for the next five seasons, showing them that he is to be committed. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. signed an extension. Dylan Brooks signed an extension last year. Uh, I think that that core group of guys is ready to make a run, and I would not be surprised if Memphis were to be right back where they were last year, or should I just say, or should I say this past year, and uh, take a top three seed in the Western Conference and make some noise in the playoffs again. But Nikola Jokic and John ja Morant are my uh, my big winners. And uh, guys who I think are going to make their most impact while on those contracts.
1: Yeah, but I'm trying to find like some other players that just to kind of make it somewhat of a interesting conversation. But I, I'm going with Jokic, dude. And I think it's really just for what you outlined. Bet that he's getting Jamal Murray back. I think to me, when I look at what Nikola Jokic was able to do this past year, I mean it was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, despite the fact that he one back-to-back MVPs, single-handedly dragging Denver to the playoffs. You, I mean, you take Nikola Jokic away from that roster this past year. Atrocious. You, you're talking about a lottery team, potentially. I mean, that's the difference that he provided to that team. And now that he's getting freaking Jamal Murray back, I think that's going to bode wonders for Denver. I think Denver's you know, going to be potentially a top-four seed in the Western Conference, as long as everybody stays healthy. So, you know, when I look at Jokic, obviously he's at the top of the list. Then if I had to pick probably a second one, you know what? I'm going to go on a little bit of a limb here. I'm going to say Darius Garland. I think Darius Garland is going to be an interesting pick simply just because the Cavs got off to a really good start last year. And I think the Cavs kind of surprised everybody how good they were, especially early on. I mean, they got all the way up to the two seed. And that was about maybe about halfway through the season. Now, granted, Cleveland is still a relatively young team. Obviously, they have the old veteran and Kevin Love, who's sticking around and you know providing a great veteran presence for that team. But that team is very young. But with, when it comes to Garland, it seems like to me he's going to be that focal piece for Cleveland for years to come. And I think, you know, when it, when I look at Cleveland specifically, I think Cleveland could be able to build around him very well over time. And I think as long as, as he's able to stay healthy and as long as he's able to progress the way that he has the last couple of years, I think he's going to be a phenomenal piece for Cleveland moving forward. So overall, you know, really kind of looking at some of the other players here, I don't think that Bradley Beal is going anywhere with the Wizards. Now granted, I mean, it's a great contract. You know, he signed a massive deal. I mean, he's going to be fine. You know, what when, when it comes to the, you know, when it comes to his money, he's not going to be sweating. But the overall general direction of Washington, I, I don't see it as a positive one moving forward. I mean, they might make it into the playoffs. That might be their best case scenario. But you know, are, are they going to be a team that's going to be running for the top spot in, in the Eastern Conference? No way. Um, when I look at Devin Booker, I think the Suns are going to take a step back um, just because, I mean, look, Devin's signed a huge contract. Obviously, he's going to be the focal piece of that team for the foreseeable future. But I think they could potentially be losing DeAndre Jordan, not DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Ayton in free agency this offseason. So I think that, you know, despite the fact that Devin's had that huge contract, I think, you know, the Suns are going to take a step back. I think they're still going to be like a 50-win team. They're still going to be a solid team in the Western Conference. But I don't think they're going to be the number one seed uh, in the Western Conference going into next year. Uh, John Morant, uh, I mean, look, the dude's exciting. Dude is just... An electric athlete. Memphis was a phenomenal team this past year. Got all the way up to the two seed. Got bounced by Golden State. Listen, not something to be ashamed of. Golden State's been there. They've done that before. And I just think that you know Memphis is on an upward trajectory at this point. But there's gonna be there's gonna be some bumps over on the road along the way for them. So they're a young team. Jaws obviously the leader of that team. Kind of crazy that that team. Like, low-key, you could make an argument that they kind of played better without him just because the record kind of showed that they were a really good team without Ja Morant in the fold. But overall, I mean, Ja's going to be great over the next couple of years. So, you know, he's somebody that I could potentially see as a guy that's just on the Ascension as well. And then when I look at Zion, just to kind of round out, I guess, just kind of how I see it. The fact that Zion Williamson was able to get this massive Supermax contract is just... It's just bonkers. It feels like the guy hasn't really played that much. Guy's been in the league for a couple of years, had this lingering foot issue that just seems to not go away. But obviously, New Orleans is willing to dish out money like it's freaking Oprah and her old show back in the day. You get money, you get money, you get money. And apparently they have no problem with you know handing Zion basically hundreds of millions of dollars and hoping that he's going to be the guy that's going to carry them to the promised land. I'm not 100% convinced that he's going to be the right guy just simply because of his injury history. Not because of his skill set. I'm not going to ever deny that. The guy is incredibly skilled. But, you know, the injury history, the fact that the weight has been an issue, hopefully he kind of fixes that over time. But just the general direction of New Orleans is going to be an interesting one. Obviously, I think Zion does improve that team tremendously. So maybe they may improve slightly over time. But I just think that the landscape of the Western Conference is just too, it's too big of a hill for them to climb over at this point. So I'm not really confident when it comes to Zion and the impact that he's going to bring with that contract. So just to kind of round this out, if I had to really just kind of pick one or two guys that I think are actually going to be like legitimate difference makers for their respective teams, where they're going to have a massive impact for the overall success of their teams, Nikola Jokic by far, I, I would say it's the number one player that I'd pick. And then I, w- I would say Darius Garland would be my number two. That's how I see it. I, I'm
0: actually going to go on an opposite limb here and say that Zion is probably the biggest potential for a wasted contract. Um, we're talking, the man has missed a multitude of seasons, a uh, multitude of games. Uh, God, this massive paycheck with injury history, and like Kyle said, the weight thing. He's quickly fluttering or should I say flirting, with the potential of being a bust just because he can't stay on the court. The the same thing was said about Greg Oden. When he was on the court, he was a beast. Not Zion numbers, but it's just a fact. If if I'm paying you $193 million over the next five seasons and you play less than 75% of those games, dude, That's a lot of money. You have Brandon Ingram on a big contract. You have CJ McCollum on the last legs of his pretty big deal. There's a lot of money tied up just between three players. And if one of them is unavailable to be on the court and has this guaranteed contract, I'm looking at the front office and saying, dude, I get he's worth it, but until he can show me I can play 80-plus games in a season or 70-plus games in a season, bro, I'll give you a two-year extension. Show me you can play for one of them. I'll give you a three-year extension if you really want the security. You're still going to get the max deal. But five years? Zion hasn't been able to play for a year and a half. I know. I mean. (laughs) So I think New Orleans really, really showed their desperation. They showed their hand. Zion is in full control of that situation. It's not a good look for their front office, in my opinion.
1: Hey, I got to give it to his agent. His agent is Paul Miracles, bro. We say this every. But that's year. what
0: I'm saying. I don't. I don't think it's an I, agent thing because we know that he has the potential for max contract numbers. We, we know when healthy he's given you. He's given you 26, giving you eight and giving you five, and he's shooting 50 plus percent from the field. It's not that it's like one of those where like Timothy Mozgov when he got that contract. That's all on his agent from 2016 when he got that 74 million dollars from the Lakers when. Uh, A random player. Of course, now I'm going to go blank on random contracts. Oh, when Michael Porter Jr.'s um, agent got him more than Luka. That's an agent thing. We all know Zion has the potential to put the numbers up. It's more of a, I think New Orleans genuinely showed their hand to say, we cannot afford to let another superstar like an Anthony Davis go away.
1: I don't know about that one.
0: Look what they they did to Golden State in no Phoenix in six games. Without Zion, I think if Zion is there, potentially that goes to seven. It I wouldn't be surprised. I would. I wouldn't be surprised. I know it's a stretch. If Zion is there, that potentially could be the upset of the year, bro. They brought them to the brink. It was incredible. Nobody saw them from the playing tournament doing what they did.
1: I I, I. I. wonder what the contract negotiations were when it came to Zion's agent and. I. I would just like to see like the starting point. That Zion's camp is at. Because if... Look. When I look at Zion, when you look at his his total career so far, he's been... What? He got drafted, what, 2019? Played 2019, 2020. He missed all of 2021. So he's he's been in the league for three years. He missed all of last year. I can't believe that's one that we actually got right. I know we're not doctors. We're not... You know, we're not medical professionals, but we were able to get that one right. That's that's one tip of the cap for us. But you know, I would like to just i I would like to have been like a fly on the wall on those contract negotiations, just to kind of see where both camps were starting from. I wonder if freaking Zion's camp was. I, I don't know.
0: Well, he know. got the max, so there isn't more financially he could have gotten, and he got the security with the longevity. So that again, I don't think it was a negotiation
1: thing. I literally think you think you, th- you just said that the Pelicans were just going to bro. I them.
0: I think New Orleans walked des- into that and said, desperate. "Here's a check, here's a check. What do you want?" I, I'm serious. I didn't see bro the fact that the the fact that this contract was signed. And of course, we don't know any of the stipulations behind the legalities behind it. If you miss a certain amount of time, but this also isn't the NFL. This contract's guaranteed.
1: I I I would have made it more incentive based with the contract. Agreed. I mean, bro, I'm like bro, like you got to at least, you know, play like you know at least two thirds of the game. Now, granted, if if it's injuries, there's nothing you could do about that. But I even think to a certain extent that he could actually control his injury history. In the like in the future, what I mean by that is, you know, obviously trying to you know cut weight. I think he's got to drop, got to drop some weight because that's obviously been a big concern of his. Not just you know in the NBA, but even going back to college D, too, that that was an issue at play as well. So I mean, overall, I I wouldn't have just given him that size of contract and that amount of guaranteed money. I would have made him more incentive based. So I would have maybe given him maybe like what, like a four or five year deal, maybe around like 150. And then if you want to kick like 30, $35 million of incentives on top of that, I would do something like that. Because then at that point, you know, let's just say like a four year, 160 million. We could say something like that. But at least you might leave some room for the incentives so that he he could potentially hit, you know, mile markers in that contract with the incentives. So it could go to 195 or something. like that. Hmm. You do something like that, but that's how I would have done it. I'm not, I'm not an NBA executive. I don't know how I would have structured it, but I would have done something like that if I was in their shoes. But you know, what do I know?
0: Facts. What do we know?
1: Well, with that said that, that pretty much wraps it up us, I know it's been been a couple days since we've been back in the studio, but overall, gonna be back, gonna be back. So, uh, Kevin, I- I'll kick this one to you uh to uh, close this one out. Bro, the uh, the floor is yours,
0: guys. It's it's gonna be a crazy summer. We all know that content is at a a little bit of a lull right now because of just how many sports are literally out of commission outside of one. But uh, we'll, we'll figure it out as we always do with Kyle being back in town or, you know, obviously um, staying in town for the foreseeable future for the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll make as much content as we can over the next couple months or excuse me, over the next couple of weeks. And we'll figure it out. We'll get we'll get back on this. I know with my PTO and my time off, it's been uh, a little bit of an inconsistency with the schedule. But as long as we stay together, and we say the course will be fine. So we we just appreciate all the support we can get. But we'll be back again at some point this week trying to figure out whether or not that's going to be Thursday or Friday since you guys are going to hear this legitimately Wednesday. It just doesn't make sense to drop back-to-back episodes. We might drop like uh, a segment or two or something. Exactly. So we'll be back with something. But over the, over the next week, just stay tuned for some, some TikToks we have ready for you guys, some YouTube shorts and whatever have you. But overall, super happy to be back in the booth with the partner. And uh, we'll be seeing you guys again soon.
1: Yeah. Like Kevin said, Uh, You know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in whether it's on YouTube, the audio platforms, we definitely appreciate the support Um, like Kevin said we'll try to drop something later this week could be in the form of like a small little episode or just maybe like a segment or two Um, just stay just stay tuned, Uh, we're just going to try to ride out this month of July as best as we can and then pretty much once we transition into August pretty much all football, so we'll be gearing up for that, so Bear with us. We're going to do the best we can to kind of navigate through uh, the the month of July. And hopefully you guys are with us along the ride. But with that said, just thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you guys later this week.
0: Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices.